welcome to you as well, especially the parents and family of those little kiddos who've just been dedicated. Glad to have all of you guys with us, trying to find you all around here, but we're glad to have you. Thanks for making it this morning. Um, you're joining us in the, um, the middle of a series that we've been calling These Words, uh, simply because we didn't know what else to call it. Actually, this series is uh, built on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 to 7. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus makes the, the comment saying that if, if you not only hear these words of mine, but do these words of mine, then your house, like this house over here, will be built upon the rock and not the sand. And so the, the reason we're even talking about these words of Jesus is because of this. We believe that everybody, everybody wants to build a life or a home, wants to build something in their lives that will last. You want a legacy that will last. You want to have kids who are going to last. You want to have a reputation that will last You want to have something about you that will endure the hard times of life, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. You want that. You may not know that, but you want that. You want to have something about your life, some character quality of your life that will not get blown over when the hard times come. And so this is what Jesus says. If you want that out of life, if you want to have the kind of quality of life that is going to make you strong through the, the tough stuff of life, listen and do these words. And the deceiving thing is that all, sometimes we think all it takes is to hear the words and not do the words. But Jesus says in Matthew 7, no, 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 no. Everybody hears. The difference between those who make their life strong is those who do. And so what happens is now Jesus is speaking to a lot of people in the on the mount. This is a sermon on the mount. So he's on this mount. You kind of envision this big hill with kind of a sprawling plain going down toward a, a little lake. And there's people gathered around, people not unlike you and, and me, who want to make something of their life and who are listening to a guy who we think, okay, maybe this guy will hand me something that I can use. And generally, by and large, we tend to think as we come um, to life that we're doing a pretty good job, right? I mean, you're here, right? You're not in jail. I mean, seriously, right? Uh, you're, you're not all that bad, right? You're making some pretty good choices. You, you've got, you might even have you know, a, a job. You might actually make some income, right? You might actually be succeeding in school, right? I mean, you might, you might actually be dating somebody or, or married to somebody. You might be having, having kids, and, and people might actually you know, like you. You're doing pretty well. And there's people who are sitting there kind of thinking that. I'm doing okay, but I kind of know there's something underneath that's not quite what I want yet. And so I want to hear more from this unique character, this Jesus man. And so Jesus kind of engages them where they're at. And he says, listen, I know that you've come and you want to hear more from me. And I want to tell you that what you've heard so far is from your religious leaders, your teachers of the law. They've told you how to do certain things. And I want to tell you that you're coming here listening and you think you're doing pretty good. You know, you'd say to yourself, hey, I'm not as bad as the people who are in jail right now. I'm not as bad as Jerry Sandusky. I'm not as bad as Al-Qaeda. I'm not as bad as the school bully or the workplace bully. I'm not that bad. And Jesus says, cool, all right, good. You think that you've never murdered Good. You think you've never committed adultery? Good. Good for you. 
You think that actually you haven't divorced yet? That's, that's excellent. You think that you keep your word? Good for you. And then he goes on to say to the crowd who's listening, he's talking to them, unless your righteousness, unless the good things that you do surpasses that of even the most religious people, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay? So you think you haven't murdered and you're doing well, but let me remind you, if you've ever been angry with somebody, you're guilty. You think you haven't ever divorced? If you're not moving intentionally toward intimacy in your, your marriage, you failed. You, you think you haven't slept around yet? If you ever had a lustful thought about a man or a woman, you're in the same boat. The standards of measurement are wrong. And Jesus is telling us and telling the people, listen, the kingdom of heaven ethos and value system is different than what the Pharisees give to you, than what the religious teachers give to you. It's deeper into the character of God, not farther into the rules of man. And this morning, he gives us kind of this this final piece of contrast from what we've heard from religious teachers and what God really wants from us. And in case you fall asleep this morning, uh, in in case you're tempted to leave early or thinking about um, football later this afternoon, just in case you are tempted to kind of mentally drift off. I want to tell you right up front where I'm going so that you can have this. Hey, you can leave after this if you want to. This is the Cliff Notes version this morning. This is what I believe Jesus is saying to us. We are supposed to treat those who are most unlike us like those who are most like us. Did I read that right? Treat those who are most unlike you like those who are most like you. It's a bit of a mouthful. Let me put it this way. When I was in high school... I played basketball for Pequot Valley, the grand, great Pequot Valley basketball team. We won, like, we won four games in uh, four years. Seriously. It was a victory not to lose by 30. Um, I don't know what was wrong with us. But anyway, so I'm on the basketball team coming from overseas. Grew up, grew up in the Caribbean. I hadn't been a part of American culture before I come and get, go to Pequot Valley as a freshman. And... Um, you know, start to play basketball for the first time. And I'm learning things that I never learned before. The first intramural practice, people are yelling at me to set a pick. And I'm looking at them like, I have no concept of what you're talking about. Let's talk words that make sense to me, okay? So I begin to play basketball. And I begin to connect with guys at, at, at Pequot Valley. And, and uh, we start kind of dressing the same. You don't really call the guys. No guy calls another guy and says, hey, what are you wearing this morning? But you just end up realizing, okay, that's kind of what ball players look like, and so I'm going to kind of look like them, right? And we start kind of talking about the same things, and you have shared experiences. You practice together. You work hard together. You sweat together. You hurt together. You lose together a lot. That's what we did, and you have a lot of these stories over and over again that you end up sharing, and and over time, these guys, you kind of tend to be a lot like the guys that you play with, and so for four years, I played with some of the same guys. And what I found over time is that we didn't actually have any rivals. Kind of funny because you, you have to be competitive to have a rivalry is the, the deal. So we had people we didn't like, right? But we didn't really have a rivalry. It, it's, there's no such thing as that when you don't ever win a game. However, we had a nemesis, if you will, uh, at Pequot Valley. And our nemesis, our arch nemesis, was the wrestling team. It was kind of a Civil War thing with us and the wrestling team. And here's why. Wrestling, at, the, at that time, okay, maybe... Um, humanity has advanced, I don't know, but at that time, wrestlers considered basketball players um, to be scum, and basketball players considered wrestlers to be just 
brutes, okay? So kind of cavemanish. So the wrestlers would always make fun of, of the little weak basketball players who could never beat you on the wrestling mat. And then the basketball players would always like make fun of the wrestlers and then run away because we were faster than they were. I mean, it was pretty good relationship that we had going on. But there's this kind of dynamic of, oh, the wrestling guys just always thought they were tougher and stronger. And, you know, they probably were kind of pound for pound because of what they did. But the basketball players had a different kind of ethos, a different value system. But we didn't look like the wrestlers, and the wrestlers didn't look like us. And the last thing the wrestlers wanted to do was play basketball in gym class with the basketball people. That's the last thing in the world they wanted to do. And so here's what happens. Over time, we end up kind of looking at each other and thinking, you are not like me, you wrestler man. You are, you are not like me at all. In fact, I have a hard time resonating with you because you're, you're so different. Your value system of how you think about the world, our little world at that time, is so different than what basketball players think about. And this tendency to move into a relationship with people who are like us and resonate with us carries beyond a high school experience of a basketball team and the guys who resonate with that and a wrestling team and the, the kind of relationship they have there and carries into all of life that we experience, right? We, we, tend to, we tend to date people who are like us, right? We tend to hire people who are like us. We tend to invite people to our homes who are like us. We tend to hang out with people who are like us. And sometimes, because we're good at, at sarcasm and, and covering sin with different words, we kind of poke fun at the people who are unlike us in a veiled, kind of angry, bitter way. We do our best. And we have this tendency with, within all of us to want to be with people who are like us and to look at people who are unlike us with a slightly skewed view of who they are, a little bit threatening that they dress differently than the people that I like. They handle things differently financially than the people that I like. And what Jesus is going to be saying to the crowd is essentially this, that kingdom people treat those who are most unlike them the same as they treat people who are most like them. He says it a little different way. And it's language that we have heard before. Let's go there in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5 is where we land today. Verses 43 to 48. If you don't have a Bible with you, I invite you to, um, to grab a Bible in the pew near you. Um, that can be yours as a gift from us to you. We'd be glad to just let you have that. Read that and engage that. There's two different kinds of Bibles. You can either find our text today on page 786 or page 937. 786 or 937, depending on the Bible that you have. Okay? Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. Jesus begins. He says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. 
He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, let's back up to see what Jesus is saying to unpack this a little bit. Verse 43, he begins... You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. What Jesus has been doing in the previous five examples that he's been giving is gone back to the Old Testament to pull out a teaching from the law and reflect it to the people today. This is different because this phrase, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, is not biblical. This doesn't show up in the Bible. No, actually, Jesus, we, we haven't. We would, we would say this now if he were speaking to us now. Actually, I haven't heard that said because it's not in the Bible. So, you want to start over? And what had happened is that this concept of love your neighbor had been turned into love your neighbor and hate your enemy by the teachers of the law. This became common, if you will, extra-biblical teaching. That the teachers of the law began to think, okay, well, hey, if you're supposed to love your neighbor, kind of the natural opposite of that is hate your enemy. So if I'm told to wear black and someone says, just wear the opposite of what you wear all the time, okay, that'd be white. You're either tall or short, right? I mean, just grab the opposite. So if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, it just follows that I should hate my enemy. And this teaching began to be prominent and so popular within the Jewish population. So Jesus is now appealing to what you've always heard. Now now check this out. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Um, What is happening in this this neighbor concept in the Old Testament in the nation of Israel, the, the word for neighbor, the concept for that, is that you're supposed to love the people who are within the covenant community. This is different for us because we're not quite functioning the same way Israel was. But if you imagine a nation of Israel of which you are a part, and you have, you've been told, I have a unique covenant relationship with God, you would be considered my neighbor because I'm in the same relationship with God as you are. And so because I'm in that relationship, I see you as a neighbor. It doesn't matter where you live geographically. What defines you as my neighbor is that we're in a group that other people are not in. The group that we are in is a covenant relationship with God. We are basketball players. And people who are not in our group, I'm supposed to, quote-unquote, hate. Now, the language of love and hate doesn't always carry the emotions that we think of today. In the book of Romans, Paul writes about Jacob and Esau, about God saying that Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. In other words, Jacob have I chosen, but Esau I have not chosen. And so the teachers of the law would look at the nation of Israel, the people in covenant relationship with God, and say, you are neighborly to one another. And so you have a chosenness, you have a love, if you will, before God. Those who are not in your group are not chosen. They're different than you. They wrestle. We don't know what's wrong with them, but they wrestle. They're different. They have a different group. And you are to understand that you are to, no matter what Jew comes to you, no matter what person within the covenant community comes to you, even if you don't like them, love them, 
It's good teaching, right? They're part of your group. They're part of your family. You don't like everybody in your family. doesn't matter. Love them. Good teaching. But hey, just know there's an out for people who wrestle. For people who are not a part of your group, you can, you can quote unquote hate them, not send them hate mail, but you don't have to respond to them the same way you do people within your group. And we already know that if the teaching were simply love your neighbor, it would be hard enough. But then Jesus goes on to say in verse 44, but I tell you, you used to think that you could separate these two, but now I tell you, love the wrestlers. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. What he's saying now is, listen, those who are most unlike you, those who are most unlike you over here, you are to treat the people who are most unlike you like those who are most like you. And how do you treat those who are most like you? We love them. We hang out with them. We give them the benefit of the doubt. But those who are most unlike us, we don't give you the benefit of the doubt. We think you're against us and against the world. If your kid bullies my kid, I don't like you. And I don't give you the benefit of the doubt. If you drive slow and I drive fast, we've got a problem. If you drive a hybrid and I think trucks, man trucks, man-man trucks are the thing to drive, we've got a problem. If I drive a man truck and you drive a hybrid and you think that's a problem, we've got a problem. One way or the other. So those who are different than us, we tend to look at, say, eh, the way they value the world is so different than me. And Jesus comes with this incredible challenge. Not only are you to love your neighbor, which by itself is difficult enough, it's hard even to love the person you've committed to love for the rest of your life, if you're married. Now, love those who are most unlike you, so that you can be, as the text says here, verse 45, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. In other words, do what your dad does. You've seen kids like that? You see a, a child, you're like, oh, wow. That reminded me of your dad, the way you said that, the look in your face, the, the smile that you gave, your response, man, you just sound like your dad. And Jesus says, hey, you want to be like your dad? Those who are most unlike you, treat like those who are most like you, and you'll represent your dad. You're going to show that you're like your dad, like your father in heaven. And then he goes on to illustrate, like, as if they're kind of processing, like, wait, wait, wait a minute, I mean, how does dad do that? How does my father do that? Okay, I can be like dad, but I don't really see dad. I mean, God is invisible, right? God the Father is invisible. So help me understand, Jesus, what you mean. Then he says in verse 45, and here's the illustration of it, he causes his son to rise, S-U-N, his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous, and the wrestlers. That no matter, no matter, no matter what group they're in, no matter what group they're in, God the Father gives life. Sun, and water, and, and rain. No, no matter what group they're in, no matter how, and you can imagine, no matter how far away from God's moral compass they are, God still treats everyone as if 
they are equal. Love your enemy like your father does. Every time you see the sun shine, it gives warmth and life to everyone. Every time it rains, it gives life to everyone, even those who reject God. And then he says this, and this kind of bothers me, okay? If you love those, verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Okay, this, I want you to think about for a minute, and this won't be hard. Think about the person. Think about the person that you would least like to spend this afternoon with. You've already thought about that, right? Think about the person that you think, if your schedule filled up from 1 o'clock until midnight tonight, and you were just hanging out with this person. You got that person? Might be me. I don't know. You're the most annoying person you can think of. Imagine that. Now, what Jesus is saying is, listen, even the, even the tax collectors do this. And you need to know, in the, in the New Testament, um, there is a category for sinners, and then there's a worse category for tax collectors. Seriously. Like, the, the tax collectors come after the sinners. They come after the worst people. They are the worst people. Even, even the most annoying person you can imagine the person who just bothers you, who gets under your skin all the time. You wish I could just do without them. If Man, if only I wouldn't have to deal with them when I call the company. If only I wouldn't have to see them in the halls of school, man. If only they weren't on the team. And if only they weren't in my family. Come on, God, in my family? Really, I can't do anything about this, but they're in my family. If only they were not here, man, my life would be great. Imagine them, and Jesus is saying, picture them. Because they do the same thing. They love people who are like them. And it's not you. So you want to stand in front of Jesus. He's talking to the crowds now. You want to stand in front of me and tell me you're building a good life. You haven't murdered. You haven't killed anybody. You haven't committed adultery. And you love your neighbor. Good stuff. Everybody is doing that. Everybody does that. You're not reflecting your father to anybody. You're just reflecting what everybody else is doing. The only way to reflect your father is to treat those who are most unlike you like the way you treat those who are most like you. Because nobody does that. Nobody does that. This is the kingdom of heaven values. And then he says, just to kind of drive it home, verse 48. And I memorize this one. This one's hard. Ready? Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is what? Perfect. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's say that one together. Ready? One, two, three. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's say it again. We like we actually mean it now. Ready? Here we go. Be perfect, like your heavenly Father is perfect. All right, cool. You good with that? All right, let's roll. Let's pray and go home. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right, good. What is Jesus saying? Listen, he, he's saying this perfection idea really is this idea of fullness and completeness. That of all the standards that we have, 
All the standards we measure our lives against, the houses we're building against, we measure them against what other people are doing. Right? I mean, okay, someone else has a nicer car, I need a nicer car. Someone else has a nicer spouse, I need a nicer spouse. Someone else has a nicer home, I need a nicer home, right? I mean, we kind of just reflect off of one another. And Jesus is saying, be, be perfect. In other words, the, the fullness, this is another word for perfection, is fullness or completeness, comes not from reflecting my life against one another, but reflecting my life against the full, mature, perfect character of God. Another way to read this is be like God, because by the way, he is perfect. He is full, he is complete. So you want to take your, quote-unquote, morality at a deeper level rather than farther. Be like your father, be like your dad, if you want to be part of the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is saying to those. You want to build your house on something more than the sand? You want to build it on the rock? Be like your dad. Carry it farther down into his character. So let's reflect on this. Treating those who are most unlike us the way we treat those who are like us. Can you imagine What it, would, what it would be like if the people who are most unlike you began to like you because you treated them like the people who are most like you. Say that three times fast. Can you imagine what it would be like if the people who are most unlike you began to like you because you treat them like the people who are most like you. Can you imagine what this would be like if we did not show favoritism and discrimination across the board? Can you imagine what this would be like if the people who are most unlike us began to like us? Can you imagine going through a storm of life, going through a a difficult time of life, you name it, You're going through a hard time, and you have support not only from people who are like you, but even people who are unlike you, beginning to say, man, you're going through a hard time. Let me help you. You've been gracious to me. I'm going to be gracious to you. You talk about building your house, your life on the rock. What does it look like to have a strong support system? Imagine what this would be like to begin seeing people through this lens of understanding that even God, my Father, causes His Son to rise and the rain to fall on those who are so different than Him, who are so unrighteous and so opposed to God, He still provides care and life for. And this is what I'm to do. So imagine, thinking about those who, think about those who now dress differently than you. And I, wouldn't, I would never wear that. Woo! I just wouldn't do it. I mean, not only is it not flattering, but I think it's immodest. And so I'm not going to, I'm just not going to treat you like I treat those that I like because you're not like me. And, man, you're, 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 your choices on how you spend your money, I mean, from my vantage point, are you kidding me? You're, you're getting into debt? You're, you're paying for cable TV when you can't 
make ends meet on this? You're, you're paying for a new car when you can't make ends meet here. You're buying a new house when this is... You're not like me. I would not do that. Imagine what it would be like if I treated those who are most unlike me like those who are like me. Imagine what it would be like for our kids to see us as we come into the Thanksgiving and Christmas season. You're going to have family at your place. You're going to go to family members. You're going to have that family member. Everyone has a family member who is that family member. None of us are ever that family member. Other people are that family member, right? And the conversation comes up about, oh, is such and such coming? Oh, it's just the way they are. Imagine if your kids saw you stop in the middle of conversation about that family member and just saw the gears turning in your brain about, okay, I need to treat them now in this conversation. I need to use language. It would be language I would use for people who are like me, even though they are so unlike me. They're so unlike me. Imagine what it would be like for our kids to see that. Imagine what this would be like in school, to connect with people who are, are so different than me, who, who wrestle, for goodness sakes. Why? I don't know. They do. Why do they do that? I don't know. Play basketball. Man, what's wrong with those ballplayers? Imagine what it would be like if we began to see people who did things so differently than us through this lens of equality. We began to, to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Imagine what could happen in your office environment when the person who's perpetually coming in late and you're not and they are constantly being rebuked and you're kind of, kind of creating distance between you and them or, or they're showing up early and you're not and it's kind of reflecting poorly on you and you might say, they're just so different. There's just so many things that are different, 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 different. I'm in a group, they're in a group, let's just kind of be happy that we're not in the same group. All right, love your enemies. Everybody, everybody loves people who are like them. That's not, that's not even a, a godly quality. It's just normal to reflect our Father. Imagine what it could be like if in your workplace, in your family, in your marriage, in your neighborhood, the people that you talk to and relate to, that you begin to treat those who are most unlike you like those who are like you. Imagine what that could do for building your house on the rock, building the strength of a life that reflects the character of our God, a God who is not a God of discrimination, but a God who gives mercifully to all who would ask. Imagine what that could be like. Let's pray together. Our good God and our Heavenly Father, we, uh, we are, if we're honest, we are deeply challenged by this reality of being commended to love people who are so different than us because by default we connect with people who are like us. And we just like being with people who are like us. And people who are not like us are wrong. They're different. We struggle with favoritism. We struggle with discrimination. We struggle to value 
people the way you do doesn't mean we need to agree with everybody. It doesn't mean we never hold people accountable. It, it's not even, that's not the conversation for what you're saying here in this passage. The conversation is about treating one another at a base level of humanity, lovingly, graciously, carefully. Treating those who are most unlike us like those who are like us. Father, I, I pray that we would, uh, as we walk this week, as we step into the relationships we have, we step into the workplace that we're going to step into with the boss who we struggle with or the, the client we're working with who's just a little more particular than we could ever imagine they would be. And pray for those who are dealing with relationships that have just been broken and um, there's people saying things about them that they can't believe they're being said. And I pray for the marriages this morning who uh, the, spouse, the husband is not getting it and the wife is not getting it and there's distance between us and we don't know where that comes from and why it is, but it's there. Pray for those new parents who are trying to figure out what it looks like to raise children. I pray for the teenagers and young adults who are kind of working through where am I going to go with my life and what might you want me to do. That in the middle of all of the places that we find ourselves, the people that we interact with, the things that we feel toward one another, that our affections for you would drive our affection for one another. And that we could treat those who are most unlike us like those who are just like us. It's a simple thing the song says, to love the King of Kings, to love you because you're worthy. But it's another thing, as the song goes on to say, to love the ones that seem so undeserving. That in a way is our call. Even just for a week, to love those who are so undeserving. Give us courage to love well this week, we pray in Jesus' name.